to, to try to describe God, this massive cosmic reality. What else are we going to use but poetry? And, and, and so that's why I think, you know, to read the Gospels through the lens of poetry is to say that we, we need a language that is not just trying to state fact, but is, that, is, that is opening space for questions, that is opening space for mystery, uh, that is okay with mystery. Because to me, poetry is, is invitational, right? It's, it's, it's welcoming the reader into um, a deeper conversation. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Drew Jackson is a poet and the founding pastor of Hope East Village in New York City. His new collection of poems is Touch the Earth, Poems Along the Way. These poems are hospitable and angry. They express gratitude while making big demands. They offer more questions than answers. I commend these poems to you. Uh, Drew Jackson, I'm so glad to have you on the Habit Podcast to talk about your pretty new collection, Touch the Earth, Poems on the Way. Thanks, Jonathan. It's so good to be here. Um, I uh, I just ate these poems up. I just think there's mm-hmm. there, uh, just, there's uh, so much good going on in here, so I'm really eager to, to talk about them. Thank you. So each poem is a... Is it fair to say a response to a to a verse or a passage from the Gospel of Luke? What, what, how do you describe the relationship between these poems and, and the and the Gospel of Luke? Yeah, I would say that they are they're in conversation with them. Okay. Um, so yeah, there uh, there's there's a bit of response there, but it's more of a um, I'm I'm talking with the text a little bit, okay. um, not necessarily trying to write a commentary on an okay. individual uh, verse or a passage of scripture but um but yeah just trying to to converse with it to to see where the text wants to lead me in terms of my own imagination what what poems want to rise out of these texts as they're interacting with the stuff in my own soul in my own life yeah um yeah are you were you going through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, and entering into converse. I mean, what was the process like by which you produce? I mean, because because this these poems are arranged in such a way that it goes, what from I guess chapter nine of of uh, mm-hmm. Luke to the end of Luke, just you know, yeah, in 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 pro, you know, verse by verse. Yeah. So that so this so this is the the second book the 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 first book that I wrote. God speaks through wombs is uh in conversation with the first eight chapters of Luke's gospel. Okay. And and uh yeah, I mean the the idea for this whole project came from I, I think multiple a couple of different places for me. Uh the first was, you know, I started this at the beginning of the pandemic, the beginning of lockdown, and I just needed um a some sort of practice that was gonna you know, anchor me in the midst yeah. of it being in New York City, right at the you know sort of epicenter here at the beginning of things, yeah. and um, in my in my my apartment with my family, and uh, yeah, just navigating everything that was going on in our world and uh, in my own sort of interior landscape. Uh, poetry found me in a new way in that time, mm-hmm. and 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 in particular with the um, you know the. Con- conversations that were happening around the racial violence that was taking place in the nation with 
you know, the killings of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. And, you know, I just felt like I needed some conversation partners uh, in the midst of quarantine. Um, and I found myself in the Gospel of Luke. Um, and I think in particular Luke, because uh, Luke has already this, um, the way that Luke is telling the narrative of the gospel is Luke is very intentional about centering the voices of of marginalized communities in his telling. So whether mm -hmm. that's women or the poor, right? There's this, this sense of these people who know what it feels like to sort of live on the underside of empire, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and to, you know, speak out from that place. So I was interested in just talking with the characters in the text, talking yeah. with the Jesus who finds himself there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also there's this other aspect of it where um, I was also sitting in the Psalms at the time. And there's a tradition uh, that the ancient rabbis used to, to say that the, um, the five books of the Psalter are not commentaries on, but in conversation with the five books of Torah. Right. Okay. And so each each book, like, you know, sort of corresponds in a, um, you know, with each section of the Psalms in a certain way. And so I was in book two of the Psalms mm -hmm. and uh, just, you know, the beginning of that, like right in Psalm 40, right, where you hear the psalmist as a deer pants for flowing streams. So my soul thirsts for you and all those sorts of things. And, you know, you can read those as like um, an individual sort of giving voice to their longing for God. But what about what happens when you read that against the backdrop of, say, the book of Exodus, mm -hmm. where you sort of hear something different? You hear a community that's longing for for something like in the desert, in this dry and weary land, all these sorts of things. And so I said to myself, what would it feel like and sound like if the Gospels gave rise to poetry today? Right. Mm -hmm. And so then it was just sort of my imagination just went from there. And these uh, these two books uh, really, which for me are one project, came out of out of that, that place. Yeah. Wow. So sometimes that's you picking up on a phrase. Yeah. Like, you know, the, shaking the dust off yeah. and writing a poem about that or or a story like mm -hmm. the, uh, the Feeding of the 5,000, which feels like it makes more than one appearance. Yeah. Am, am, I, am I right about that or am I... Yeah, Does it literally yeah. make more than one appearance, or well, well, there's a lot no. of fish fries in this book. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, there's the first one, right? There's the there's the feeding of the five thousand in chapter nine, yeah, and then the fish fry poem that I write at the end uh -huh. is is uh, Jesus showing up on the shore after the resurrection yeah. and eating fish with the disciples, right? So yeah, yeah. there's that book end of fish. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I love the way. I mean, even something like the, the fish fry, you know, that is, um, what am I even trying to say here? I mean, the, the way that you you bring the the notion of um, the the feeding of the five thousand or Jesus eating the fish at the at the mm -hmm. end of the Gospels, um, both of which seem a little bit. I mean, I remember seeing pictures of that from my children's Bible a long, long time uh -huh. ago. But but to frame that as Hey, this is the same, you know. This is very similar to a, to a fish fry that that yeah. you know, that you grew up with, that I grew up with, and mm -hmm. I haven't been to a fish fry in a long time. Long but, time, <laughs> <laughs> but but I have many happy memories of fish fries, and I, I loved uh, I love all the fried fish in this in this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's something about bringing bringing the stuff of the text into conversation with real life, with my life, 
Um, and that looks like a cookout in the backyard. That looks like a fish fry. That looks like, you know, the stuff of my childhood. And, and but also being able to 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 say, okay, with when I look at it again with new eyes, I can see that even in the in those places in you know in my grandmama's house or uh, with my mom, there's uh there is there's something of the kingdom of God that's showing up in that place, and I and I want to yeah. I want to give voice to that. I want to write that. Mm-hmm. I want to name that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- even I mean, since we're on the subject of of um, the um, the feeding of the five thousand and and the fish fries, um, I love the way you know when you say don't go to the fish fry without some Tupperware because mm-hmm. there's going to be left. <laughs> yeah, and and the you know. The way that that, that abundance mm. from from your life and your experience um, speaks to you know that the 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 fact that there's an economy at work in the feeding of the five thousand that denies the economy of scarcity yeah. and supply and demand and those kinds of those kind of things that says there's something truer than the law of supply and demand and the and the and the laws of scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the reminder in that in that one poem that you know what even in this world there are communities where that kind of abundance really does oppose the 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 economies of scarcity, mm-hmm. uh, even where it seems like you wouldn't know to look, wouldn't expect to look. Absolutely, absolutely. This, I mean, those poems. Um, they're they're. On one hand, they are poems about economics, right? They're, mm-hmm. you know, um, the economy of, like you talked about, like you named scarcity versus this economy of abundance and um, how, you know, scarcity is this idea that there is not enough to go around. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a narrative that we have bought into, that yeah. we just say is, and we never question it. Mm-hmm. Is that really is that really true? Or is there something deeper? That's real. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, what Jesus is given, you know, naming and, and demonstrating in, uh, in the feeding of the 5,000 and so many other places is that, no, the the reality is abundance. And there's yeah. something about blessing and breaking. I, I, that's one of the lines, right? Blessing and breaking what little we have is in yeah. uh, the last line in one of my poems is that, like, there's something about that, that, that you know, gives way to abundance when we as human community bless and break what we have and we open our hands and we share instead of hoard, there's abundance in that. Right. And and so, yeah, I just, I I was just, you know, thinking about those things and saying, man, that, that, that showed up at at grandmom's house. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. The, The last two lines of that leftovers poem, take as much as you want, child. There's plenty to go around. Plenty to go around. That's just a statement of the abundance of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, that, that, that line that, that we hear that you hear from your grandmother mm-hmm. is just a restatement of, of, uh, uh, yeah, that Tupperware. So, yeah. But in Jesus, in Jesus miracle, it was, it was 12 baskets mm-hmm. and in your poem. It's, it's Tupperware and, and a grandmother saying, yeah, there's plenty to go around. I love mm-hmm. it. So good. Um, uh, Patrick Otuma wrote the foreword to this book, mm-hmm. um, and and he remarks that you have at least three areas of deep study that he and I'm sure there are more than three, but the gospels, the poetry, the gospels, poetry, and community. 
mm-hmm. and that you read the gospels through the lens of poetry and community. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it, what does that mean to say that? Like, how does that work itself out? If it's true, that's that you didn't say that, Patrick O'Toole. <laughs> but but uh, assuming uh, that, that that's correct, uh, yeah. what does that mean? did you see the gospel through the lens of poetry and community? Yeah, uh, man. Um, first, I I love Padraig. He's he's a good friend, and you know, it's a gift for to have him uh, offer this forward. And um, yeah. But yeah, when he says that, uh, it really struck me the first time I read that from him. And I was like, yeah, I think that is true. I think that's true. Um, you know, I read something the other day. Uh, I think it, it was uh, a tweet from Diana Butler Bass. And she yeah. said in her tweet, she said, I think uh, that the only way to do theology is poetry. Mm. Um, she said, I'm increasingly convinced that that's true. And you know, that I think that that's something that over the years and as I've sat with the, the, the text of scripture, but also as I've gone deeper and deeper into poetry, is something that resonates with my soul. Um, and part of it is that I see so much poetry throughout scripture yeah. when uh, when I'm reading the Gospels and I'm reading about, um, you know, the parable. I'm reading the parables of Jesus and I'm seeing all of these poetic devices that Jesus is using the, mm-hmm. you know, simile and metaphor. And you can only, you know, use poetry to sort of reach at something like the kingdom of God to, to try and put it in the words. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, even just the, the task of theology itself, right. To, to try to describe, talk about, grasp at God, this yeah. massive cosmic reality Right. What else are we going to use but poetry? Right. <laughs> and, and and so that's why I think, you know, to read the gospels through the lens of poetry is to say, one, right, that we we need a language that is not just trying to state fact, but is that is that is opening space for questions, that is opening mm-hmm. space for mystery, uh, that is okay with mystery and saying, you know. I don't necessarily know, but I imagine it could be this way, maybe. Um, and it's because to me, poetry is is invitational, right? It's 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 welcoming the reader into um, a deeper conversation that has that is not just to say, "Hey, here's what I think uh, is an answer to this, whatever," but mm-hmm. it's to say, "No, this th- these are deep waters here, and there are layers here, and there's mystery here." Um, you know, take a step in at a time, take yeah. a step in at a time. And and that's what the gospels do. And that's what Jesus is always doing, even as he invites his disciples on this journey of follow me. I mean, that's that's just this poetic journey into the mystery of God. And so for me, that that is, yeah, I, I do read the gospels through that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that that language of inviting the reader in, creating mm-hmm. a space for the reader to come in. Um and it makes me think about that uh, uh, your poem, "The Last Frontier," where, where you describe mm-hmm. um, going to the Jacob Jacob Reese houses mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in New York City, and um, in this place that is uh, very very run down, <laughs> the, the world mm-hmm. is kind of beaten up, mm-hmm. and um, and your conversation with 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 two women there. Which I I trust is a true story that you. It is a true story. Yeah, I didn't think you dreamed that up. It is. And these uh, these women, you said, 
I don't know why I'm reading. I don't know why I'm reading your poems to you. I need to get you to, to read them to me. But we'll do that in a minute. Okay. Um, walking by, I say hello, and of course they invite me to sit. Hospitality is a characteristic of heaven. Sensing that I'm new, they begin to tell me all, and then I love those those last four lines. We've been pushed to the edge here. We call this the last frontier. Welcome to the neighborhood. We're glad you're here. Mm-hmm. And that idea of these people who have been pushed to the margins, pushed to the edges, and still saying, this is our space, welcome to mm-hmm. it. That feels really important to the to the work of, of what poets do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not a question, but maybe you have something to say about it. No, no. I just just a, a affirmation and agreement with that. Um and I, I guess I've never thought about it in those terms, you know, but when you say that, I'm like, I, th- that is, I think that is the work of poetry and the work of poets in the world. Um, and, and often, I mean, you know, poets, even when we talk about, you know, poetry as a genre of writing, um, poetry is not typically, poets are not mainstream, right? Poets are, mm-hmm. poets kind of float around the edges of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, but so, so I like, I like that poets sort of had that, um, uh, vocation, if you will, of, yeah. you know, hospitality invitation into something. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. So good. The, the, this, okay. This collection of poems, I, I feel the hospitality, right? You, you, you spent mm-hmm. a lot. There are lots of poems about people sitting down and eating together. Mm-hmm. There are poems about inviting people in. And yet, at the same time, I mean, you say some hard things. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there, there's a there's a prophetic voice at work here. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, um, so on the one hand, you are taking a posture of of receptivity, of abundance, of receiving, and being grateful. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you are making demands <laughs> mm-hmm. of of. Uh, of people who withhold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how you, uh, speaking as a, well, speaking as a white person, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who I read your poems. I felt mm-hmm. very welcomed mm-hmm. and also felt rebuked in, mm-hmm. in ways, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you, that you, I, I don't know that there's some real tension here that I don't, I'm going to need help from you in, yeah, in yeah. getting getting this this language right, um, because you know I think of you know open handedness, gratitude, receptivity as being a pretty different thing from demanding, mm-hmm. and yet somehow you do both in ways that 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 work. So can we mm. talk about that? Yeah. No. Thanks for thanks for saying that. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to go back to those two women that, you know, in the last frontier poem, because I think, and even just the way that you talked about um, how, what, what poetry does um, in terms of the hospitality and the welcome. But, you know, you sit down with, when I sat down with those two women, right, they welcomed me um, to the neighborhood and they were gracious and they were, you know, it was such a beautiful and, and hospitable conversation. And with that was also the truth telling of the conversation of how hard it has been in the neighborhood mm-hmm. of the realities of the place of, yes, we have been pushed to the edges here. We call this the last frontier and all the realities behind why that is. 
yeah. right? As a newcomer to the neighborhood, that's that's not easy to hear, right? Because mm-hmm. that's something that's like, okay, am I just a part of the pushing to the edge, mm-hmm. right? Am I am mm-hmm. I a part of that? Um, so we had, you know, those are real real conversations around things. Things like gentrification and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here, here, which here in New York is such a big conversation, and it's a charged conversation, mm-hmm. and one that um, you know, folks who are moving into the city sort of want to stay away from because they don't yeah. want to feel indicted by those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's um, I think you know, part of sitting down at someone's table. Right. And eating their food is is having that conversation. But when you've crossed that bridge into, OK, we are there. There is there is um, there's there's some friendship here. We can we can talk honestly. Right. Can I can I talk truthfully with you? Yeah. Here are some things that we need to talk about. Right. That yeah. that exist that are real. And I think that's the the posture of these palms is both the the, you know, the hospitality is there and mm-hmm. extending that welcome. And with that, there's some hard conversations that need to be had. And I think that's what the gospels do, right? That's what yeah. you see yeah. in, in a, in a person like Jesus who sits down at tables and loves to do that. We'll sit and have, have a, a meal with the religious leaders. And then there's rebuke at the same time. How do those two things fit together? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and so I think that's what I'm uh, the tension that I'm sitting with in these poems, uh-huh. um, which I think is what poetry does often. Um, yeah. And yeah. Well, you know, the the word I didn't use, because for some reason it didn't occur to me. Maybe and this may be relevant to the fact that this word didn't occur to me, but I could have used the word anger, right? You're mm-hmm. hospitable and angry at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's a trick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. I think it, what it is, is, you know, what I wanted to do in this book uh, with, with these poems was really be honest about the journey toward what it means to be fully human, you mm-hmm. know, what it what it means to wrestle and grapple with our full humanity. Uh, the, the quote at the beginning of the book um, is a quote from St. Irenaeus, where uh, Irenaeus says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Yeah. Right. And and so what is the, what does it mean to be fully alive human beings? Well, part of that means that we have to grapple with the, the full range of human emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. So that is yeah. the that is the joy that is the the cookout in the backyard and mm-hmm. all of that. And there's the the sorrow and the grief and the anger and the all of those things are real. Right. So what does it mean to kind of get in the dirt of all of that? And I think that's the journey. That's what it means to be on the way, right? It is yeah. to grapple with all those things. Yeah. Um, let's. Talk, I, I, I've mentioned gratitude, mm-hmm. and you, you have a you articulate a somewhat complicated relationship to gratitude. Mm-hmm. In these poems, and it's gratitude is a is a theme that I end up talking about a lot with people, and and mm. I think it's it's such an important creative force, right? To acknowledge the uh, the the gifts that we've been given, the abundance that's been offered to us, and to be grateful for it. But you also point out that that gratitude um, can cover up things mm. that need to be exposed. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you got that poem about Thanksgiving dinner, Thanksgiving etiquette, I think is what it's called. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where, you know, in the, uh, in the, this day of thanks, sometimes in the day of thanks, we gloss over injustices. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, another way to, another way to frame it is that it's easy from somebody on my side of, of, Things to to mistake white privilege for God's blessing, mm, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, or to to equate them in ways that that are are not useful for anybody. Yeah, um, and um, I and I'm gonna well, let's talk about gratitude a minute. That I've got a, a particular line from one of your poems that, that I want to ask you about. But uh-huh. but yeah, the 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 tell me about gratitude and the, the your complicated. Is that fair to say you have a complicated relationship to gratitude? Well, I, I think it's fair to say that what I what I want to do in these poems is complicate uh, our <laughs> okay. our, um, our engagement with gratitude. Um, yeah, not in the sense that I, I you know I love gratitude, right? I love and and I it's one of the practices that I have with my wife and I have with our children every night before bed as we talk about you know, feelings, like, what are you feeling to naming emotions, but also gratitude? What are you mm-hmm. thankful for um, to name those? And, um, and uh, I think part of it, part of what I was wanting to do in these poems, you mentioned the Thanksgiving etiquette poem. Um, and that was just really to get at the, um, what happens at so I was, I was, I was thinking about what happens at so many tables across mm-hmm. America on a day like Thanksgiving or any other day, but you know, Thanksgiving in particular, um, where we 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 want to we want to give thanks for the blessings, right? And and just name those things um and hold at arm's length the things that are difficult and hard and often sometimes the ways that we feel blessed on the other side of what we would name as blessing is pain for someone Mm -hmm. else or injustice for someone else. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it gets complicated. Whereas to say, um, especially in a, you know, in a, in a society, in a culture like ours, right. Earlier we talked a lot about economics. And so um, in the structure, the systemic, you know, the system that we live in, right. That is based on, right. There are there are the rich and there are the poor, the haves and the have-nots, and there are only the haves because there are have-nots, right? It's like, mm-hmm. how do we how do we grapple with something like that? As as when we find ourselves in positions as those who have, mm-hmm. right? Is to say, how do I say, God, thank you for for the ways you've blessed us, the, what you've given, and 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 I think it's okay to name it as that, right? That mm-hmm. God, you've blessed us, right? And at the same time, hold that and to say. I realize that we are caught in this web of things that is very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, it's not so simple as we worked hard and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not. It's not mm-hmm. that simple. Right? There's 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 pain wrapped up in this. There's injustice wrapped up in this. And so it's just trying to complicate our relationship with something like gratitude, um, rather than just to say, "Oh, look at the things that God has given us." The you know. God, God bless and leave it at that. Yeah. But to go Hashtag beyond blessed. that. Yeah. To go beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so the line I wanted to ask you about that's that's a this is a hard thing to swallow. Yes. Hatred likes to disguise itself as gratitude. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? This is in a poem called Hatred Goes to Church. Yes. When ha- when hatred goes to church. What does that line mean, Drew? Well, um that so that that line is from yeah, from that poem when hatred goes to church and well you know, I wrote that in reflection on the passage in scripture where the religious leaders are standing up in the synagogue and they are praying a prayer, um, thanking God that they are not, you know, Gentiles or they're not women or they're, you know what I mean? And and so what you, I mean, what's going on there is underneath of the the gratitude, the thank God that we're not them. We're not like yeah. them. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be blunt, we could name it as hatred, right? Mm-hmm. Hatred of certain groups of people, um, uh, the way, you know, mistreatment of certain groups of people and not, not acknowledging the humanity uh, of, of certain groups of people. And I'm defining um, myself in terms of what I'm not. What I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thanking God for that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I think I was I was just really sitting in that text as I wrote that poem and, um, you know, just wanting us to think about the ways that that shows up today. How does mm-hmm. how does that show up today? I mean, I could I mean, even back to that, like, thank God that we're so blessed we have all this. Right. I mean, I think the flip side of that is thank God that we're not poor. Mm-hmm. Thank God that, you know what I mean? And and sure. But, what you know, what like when I you know, for me, I live in New York. And how many of us have to have to walk by our houseless neighbors on the street to go into church and say, thank God that we have that that we're not poor, that we're not them. Right. Mm -hmm. And to never actually grapple with the humanity of our neighbors who we had to walk by, um, you know, on the way to church. And so that's just a a wrestle. Right. Mm -hmm. Attention there. And uh, just to name it. I mean, I know it is it can feel harsh to even name that as hatred. But if it's if it's not if it's not love, what is it? Right? There's indifference, right? There can be indifference, but indifference, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like to and that's what I do. I think that's one of the things that poetry does is it can name some things that sometimes we're scared to name or afraid or don't know if this is the right thing and to say. And I'm not saying you have to name it as hatred, but I'm saying you have to ask the question. Let's ask the question together, yeah. right? Um, yeah. 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 So you're a pastor. Or like, are you, are you preaching every Sunday? So yeah, um, I am in the middle of transitioning out of my pastoral role um, okay. here at the church in New York. But yeah, I, I planted a church in New York. Um, you know, I'm asking because I, I'm, yep. I'm wondering if, if there are, if you have courage to say things in poet in poems that are harder to say in a sermon. Um, yeah. So, so what I'll say is this, um, I I have, you know, I've said hard things in sermons for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think what poetry does is it really has a way of, um, I think when I so this is, is interesting, right? When I when I started writing poems, like it was a big switch from writing sermons for me. Sermons were so much about feeling like you had to give some had to give some sort of resolution some sort of answer mm-hmm. some sort of yeah. thing for people to hold on to mm-hmm. whereas 
when I write poems, I'm much less concerned about that. Hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, if I give rise to a question, you know, then, then that's good. Yeah. I, I, I really, you know, if, if someone reads a poem and, and goes deeper into thinking about the relationship between grad, like the complication of gratitude, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yes, that's good. You're thinking about it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so, um, I do think poetry allows you to say things different, like some hard things. Um, but it's sort of like in the Emily Dickinson sort of way, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. It's like you can say things at an angle sometimes where um, because I think what poetry does is people don't tend to come to poetry armed armed with a response. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a sort of um, dropping of your sort of weapons or defenses when you come to a poem. Yeah. Um, I think if you're really honestly going to sit with the poem, that's what you have to do. Yeah. And so um, whereas when you're listening to it, even if you're listening to a sermon or if you're hearing someone make an argument about something, you're thinking about the retort to that yeah. the response to that. Right. So I think that's why poetry functions a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poetry confuses often in ways mm-hmm. that are helpful. And and it's your job as a, when you're preaching is hopefully not to be confusing people too much. Make it clear, make it plain. You know, that, yeah. that, that's what the, that's what the preacher is always trying to do. Yeah. 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 Um, so many of your poems are, bring up issues that are relevant. I mean, this, this is a podcast for writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not everybody listens as a writer, but, but I like to, you know, think about writerly issues. Uh, and, and so, so many of your poems are relevant to that. I, with the time we have remaining, I'd love to talk about a few of those, mm-hmm. your poems that, that kind of touch on the, the creative process um and well actually let me ask you is, is there are there poems of yours that you find poems from this collection that you're especially interested in talking that 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 raise creative issues of the creative life the writing life that that you're interested in i mean i've got my list but if you have your list yeah no start with uh, yours yeah let's see so <clears throat> I mean, the first one that that I that I think of um, from this collection is the poem Ascension. That's uh-huh. one of them. Yeah. It's, the, it, it, it's the last poem in the book. And yeah. um, I mean, I'm writing about poetry, right? So it's right. sort of a, an ars poetica. It is a poem about <laughs> poetry. And so, um, no, I think in this poem. Would I, you be willing just to read it? Yeah, let me let me. Read I'd, this I'd love that. Yeah. Ascension. So I wrote this in reflection on Luke uh, 24. Uh, verses 44 through 53, this poem has an epigraph from the poet Morgan Parker, her poem, Exclamation Point, which says, we are the revolutionary poem, exclamation point. You don't have to go home, but this is only the start. The good part is what comes next. I love that. It's so good. Ascension. And this is what poetry does. It carries us. It invites us into a story, unfinished, saying, write the next stanza. It gives us no plan, no blueprint for the future, but simply asks us to witness. Take it in and declare what we have seen. It flies away, but does not leave. Its presence remains long after the page has been turned. 
long after the last word spoken. It leaves us with questions, gazing toward heaven for answers, but no answer descends. It's intent to get us to sit with the questions again. <laughs> wow. No. Yeah. I mean, so this poem is, is obviously I wrote it thinking about the ascension, that, that final act of the gospel of Luke and the beginning of Acts, right? The ascension and, um, and, and I, you know, I, I can't even tell you what it was that as I was reading that it made me think about just, I, I guess it was just, I was reflecting on the entire sort of journey of the gospels in a sense, in the journey of Jesus and just about how poetic, how poetic it is. And you get to this last sort of scene and there is this sort of flying away of sorts, this ascension into the clouds. And you have the disciples who are perplexed, which is what poetry often does. Mm -hmm. Perplexes you, leaves you with more questions than it does answers. Um, But it leaves you with something, right? That, That Jesus's word is like, I'm still with you. Right, I'll always be with you, yeah. and I'm. And I started to think about how, you know, so so many of the poems that have been been so important for me, um, right there, they don't have to be super long poems or super, you know, th- but they there's something that that le- that leaves its imprint on you and stays with you long after you walk away from it, long after you yeah. hear someone recite that thing. Um, but it stays with you and it keeps bringing up new questions in you. And, yeah. and I was like, Oh, that's what, that, that is what a poem does. That is what a poem does. And that, that's, that's what this whole journey is a, a faith and all of those things. And so, um, yeah, it really had me thinking about the the function of a poem, if you will. Sometimes, I mean, a poem doesn't necessarily need to have a function in the sense of being like, like having utility. Right. But it, but, um, but poems are always doing some sort of work. They're doing something. Yeah. And um, and that's one of the questions I'm always asking when I'm writing is like, what work is this poem doing? And that's one you, of the, I'm sorry, you asked that question when you're writing, you said? Or when yeah, you, I, yeah, when I'm writing. I, yeah. I And when I'm reading a poem, sure. but when I'm writing a poem, I, like what, what, what work does this poem want to do, right? Even that's part of the creative process for me of when I'm writing a poem. And, and um, you know, sometimes it's the work of just um na- giving you know giving voice to my own grief or or welcoming others into grief right there's mm-hmm. several poems in this book that are just about me grieving my mother and her mm-hmm. her, her passing 10 years ago and mm-hmm. right um and the maybe the the on one level the work of that poem was simply to help me name grief mm-hmm. but but also that poem goes out into the world yeah and i don't know Oh, what it's going to do for somebody else, <laughs> right. how it's going to work on That's somebody not your else. Business, is it? That's yeah. not my business. That's not my business. Right. Um, but yeah. Hey, can uh, I ask you a, a quick question about that, Drew? Yeah. At what point in the process do you start asking what work is this doing? So I, I guess it's toward, toward the end. So when, when I, when I finally get a, um, a fir- I guess a first draft of a poem on the page, I mean, poems go through, I don't know, so many revisions. Um, 
But I get that first draft on the page and I look at it and I say, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? Cause, cause I, I mean, to me, I think about a poem as having a distinct life from like me. It's separate from me. Uh-huh. It's this thing that takes on a life of its own. And I'm the type of writer that, that I'll get a first line and not necessarily know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the the process of writing that first line and seeing how it's going to unfold on the page Mm -hmm. um but then it's almost like i have to step back from that and look at it and have a conversation with this thing and Mm -hmm. and um you know seeing you know ask that question what work are you doing what's what what is this what's happening here and then i go back and i jump back in and think about revisions and things like that Mm-hmm. That when you say you you have a first line, how often does that does that line end up being the first line of the finished poem? <laughs> um, for, for me, it is more often than not it does end up being the first uh-huh. line. Um, uh-huh. Sometimes it'll end up being somewhere in the middle, and I I have to you know work up to uh, it, work up to <laughs> it. Um, but I know you know I know poets who who say they know where they're going. They know uh-huh. how the, the poem wants to end and they have to figure out how to get, how to get there. there. Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't, that's not that's typically not how I write. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you yeah. kind of weigh it in. Yeah. 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 All right. We, we're about to run out of time, but there's, there's a, there's one more poem I, that I just really love. I mean, there's a bunch that I really love. And unfortunately we're only going to talk about one and that is beautiful rejection. Mm. Would you read? I mean, I, I think that that's uh, that one is so. I mean, the the image that that really jumps out to me is is the idea of um, you know unwanted animal scraps um, from the from the you know enslavers table giving rise to soul food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, such a great image. Although that's only one stanza in this in this poem about the the good that rejection does, mm-hmm. um, and also if if you don't mind help me out what what is this is um, in conversation with Luke twenty nine through nineteen which oh yes which, so which this passage is, is that that is um, the passage where where Jesus says the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief gotcha. cornerstone okay yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Mm. So would you like me to read it? Would you? I would love that. I would, I would love to read it. Yeah. Beautiful rejection. And we have learned there is nothing so beautiful as rejection. Unwanted animal scraps discarded by our enslavers, taken and turned into soul food. Richard Allen and Absalom Jones rejected from those Methodist pews, constructing an ecclesial movement of ebony and mahogany. The story of Michael Jordan being cut from his high school team became legendary to us, the way he built that into six rings. There are rejected things inside of me I will one day uncover, only to remold into poetry. Oh, Andrew, I love that so much. Mm. Um, Thank and you. That's, Thank you. You know, people who do creative work are dealing with rejection all the time, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, that, in some ways, that feels like it's it's almost 
not giving that poem enough credit to, to frame it in those terms, but but still, it, it was something that that I thought about a lot. You know, the the, the rejection that everybody who does creative work has to deal with, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, so many beautiful things that came out of rejection in that poem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think so many writers that I know would say it is the rejection, the the rejections over and over um, that really give rise to some of the most beautiful stuff that you produce, right? Because it's, Mm -hmm. it's part of the process. It's part of the refining and the shaping and the molding um, both of the work, but also you as an artist, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And in that last stanza, you talk about the the things in inside you Mm -hmm. uh, that, that will become rejected things inside of me. I, I don't know how much you're, you feel like talking about that, but can you say just a little bit more about that? Mm. Yeah, I think there are layers to it. I think um, on one, at one level, what I'm saying there is, you know, thinking about the things that I have pushed off or rejected or turned mm-hmm. away Um mm-hmm haven't wanted to look in the face, haven't wanted to embrace, right? Yeah. Uh, as as part of my my who I am or my own story and my own journey. Um, because maybe they're painful yeah. or maybe I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Um, but that somewhat somewhere along this journey, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look those things in the eye. <laughs> I'm gonna have to embrace them as part of uh, as part of me. And um there's something beautiful that's gonna come out of that embrace. Yeah. Right. Um, the thing that I've been rejecting for so long. Um, yeah. So I think that that is really sort of um, one of the main things we're trying to say in that last stanza. Yeah. Um, and just how much of the the poetry that I write even comes out of that very process of sitting with the rejected things inside of me, whether yeah. that is um, the things that I've internalized that others have said about me as rejections, mm. um, about yeah. my person, my personhood or my people or all of those sorts of yeah. things, um, or those things that I haven't told anybody, um, mm. but I- I've never wanted to confront. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. All right. Drew Jackson, last question. Who are the writers that make you want to write? Mm. I, I'm excited it- about this answer. There, there are there are so many there are so yeah. many um ooh Tony Morrison James Baldwin um Langston Hughes mm-hmm. I'm thinking of um you know some some of the poets that are contemporary poets that are writing today uh, poets like Ada Limon and Jericho Brown um yeah. poets like um you know go back a little bit Lucille Clifton and Gwendolyn Brooks uh-huh. um Mary Oliver Mm-hmm. And uh, um, yeah, there, I mean, there I could go, I could go on and on. Writers like Imani Perry, uh, Kiese Lehman's book, and his book Heavy is like. There's so many writers uh, that have been influential for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for thank you for the list, mm-hmm. um, and thank you for being here, Drew. This is this has been so fun. I'm I'm a big fan of of your work now. I, thank I, you. I'm a recent. I've only recently been exposed to it, and uh, I. I'm so excited about the work you're doing. So thank you for the work you're doing. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a joy to be on here with you. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. 
To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.